Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I referred to this passage of Scripture and this parable two weeks ago when I preached to you on the forgiveness of sins. I want to look at it more closely this morning and consider more on the forgiveness of sins. The pure gospel of Jesus Christ is how much God has forgiven us and therefore how we ought to live with others. And that embodies most, if not all, of the gospel. The forgiveness we have through Jesus Christ and how that should affect our relationships with others. Let me read to you, beginning at verse 21, down to the end of the chapter. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Amen, amen. and amen. amen. This is the word of the Lord, and it's a wonderful word to us. It can be a most precious word if you understand the forgiveness in it and love that forgiveness. It can be a horrible warning of trouble in your life 
if you do not appreciate that forgiveness and you harbor grudges or quarrels against others. Let's take this apart verse by verse. At verse 21, we read, Then came Peter to him. Peter often said and did what we think about saying or doing. He was just impulsive enough to get it out there so that we could relate well to Peter. Every single one of you fall into verse 21 because there's no one that forgives as they should. You're always looking, and I'm always looking, for a limit on how many times I need to forgive someone that offends me. And Peter's just plainly blunt about it and comes and asks the Lord. Now there's a reason for the concern. And it's found in this chapter. If we go back to verse 1, we're going to discover that Peter and the other apostles were arguing who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Pitiful men, weren't they? This isn't Matthew 1. This is Matthew 18. You would think that by Matthew 18, they might have figured out that they shouldn't be worrying about their promotions. But they're worried about them. In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 9, they're in a house in Capernaum. And they have been arguing and debating on the way there who would be the greatest. And the Lord asked them what they were talking about on the way. And you know what the Bible tells us? They were silent. They didn't want to own up to this discussion. They knew it was wrong. They knew it was based in human pride. And so they didn't say anything. And the Lord pressed them. And so we have verse 1, a condensed version here in Matthew 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is our context. This is our larger context of the disciples worrying about who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes on to draw a young child that believed in Him into their midst and sat Him there, took Him in His arms, and said, Unless you are converted and humbled like this little child, you cannot even get into the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is characterized by humility and innocence and a lack of malice toward others. The Bible tells us something about children. Children do not have much in the way of understanding. They can't figure things out, and they can't remember what they did figure out. And when it's figured out for them, they forget it. They lack in understanding. But there's also a good thing about children. They don't hold malice. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that children get over things very quickly. It's adults that hold on to them and create grudges and bitterness. A child is stressed to remember what happened yesterday. But adults can hold on to offenses for years, for decades. There's a huge difference between adults and children. We ought to be adults in understanding, and that is grasping what the Word of God teaches us. We ought to be children in the way we relate to each other by just forgetting everything. You say, well, that's that's a naive way to live. Praise the Lord. Let's all be naive. When it comes to each other's offenses against us, let's be naive and let's be men when it comes to Bible doctrine. And there's a huge gulf between the two of those. They don't get mixed. The little offenses against you are nothing and you ought to forgive them. And so the issue here that starts Matthew 18 is Peter hearing what it would take to be great 
to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me chase a 30-second rabbit. If there was ever a time in the Gospels when Jesus could have explained to the disciples and to Peter that He was to be the greatest because He was to be the first Pope, it would have been right here. Because they were all debating who was to be the greatest. Jesus could have stepped forward and settled this issue once and for all. Peter's my man. And the rest of you bow down and kiss his ring. But there's nothing like that here because they were all equals and they were all told to treat each other as brethren. We are not Roman Catholics with the superstition about Peter. There's no evidence in the Bible that Peter ever went to Rome. None at all. Paul was the apostle to the Gentile. What would Peter have done in Rome? There wasn't anyone there for him to preach to. What would he have done there? Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans. Paul traveled to Rome. And we are told that plainly. The last time we read about Peter, he's all the way over in Iraq in a, in a city called Babylon. You can read it in the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 5. Anyway, enough. that was longer than 30 seconds. But that was a rabbit... Jesus didn't say anything of the sort. He said, if you want to be greatest in my kingdom, then humble yourself as a little child. Forget other people's offenses. Be humble. Because do you know what it causes men to fight? There's only one reason men fight. Pride. Always and only. Pride. You cannot take anyone getting the better of you in any slight way, even by your own imagination, that they took advantage of you. You can't handle it, so you fight. Because you're proud, and the Lord said you've got to be humble. That was the first thing. The second thing is verse 15. The Lord moved on to explain how their differences were to be solved in the church. Look at verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. These verses here, and oh, what confusion they've caused. To some, to most. These verses are not describing how a church deals with excludable offenses. This passage is dealing with personal offenses between members. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, not against the Lord, but against you, he offends you, he hurts you, he does something to bother you. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now Jesus gives us Matthew 18.15, but there's already a way better than Matthew 18.15, and that's when someone offends you and does something against you. You just blow it off and forget it. That's the better way to handle it. If you have to go and take it up with someone because they said something that hurts your feelings, you've really got a problem. You should be able to forget it. The glorious man will forget it. Proverbs 19.11 It is his glory to pass over a transgression. But if you're not glorious, and if you can't pass over it, then here's the method. If someone offends you, you are to go to him alone in private. No one else should ever hear about it. Your wife doesn't need to hear about it. And oh, please, the pastor doesn't need to hear about it. Oh, for some reason, people think that I'm an exception to that rule. I don't want to be the exception to that rule. I don't want to hear about it. If someone offends you, look what it says. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And here's the, here's the point we want out of this verse. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. 
you've wronged me. If he hears you, then his response is not going to be, but, 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 but. His response is going to be, will you forgive me? And if he says, will you forgive me, guess what you've got to do? You have to forgive him. Peter's mulling this over. Peter doesn't like to be offended. Peter's got himself a little bit of a temper. Peter's rather impulsive. Peter's got some pride. You know that about Peter, don't you? And so he's thinking about these things, these statements by the Lord, and the Lord goes through the rest of that explanation of how to deal with minor personal offenses between members. He finishes that in verse 18. Then in verses 19 through 19 and 20, he explains a couple things about prayer. But Peter comes back to him in verse 21. I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and I hope we all do. I hope we all want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that's motivating Peter. And Peter has just heard that if his brother trespasses against him, and he goes and points it out to his brother, and the brother says, will you forgive me? That it ends right there, and Peter does not have an option to do anything else with it. Peter doesn't like exposing himself like that to his brethren, that he has to forgive them. So he comes and says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Surely there's got to be some limit on this thing. I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And since you just told me I have to forgive my offending brother, how many times do I have to do it so that I'll know the limit, so that when I get to that point I can quit and still be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Are you with me? Don't your mind, doesn't your mind work that way? I know your mind works that way. Do you know how I know your mind works that way? Because I know my mind works that way. Apart from the grace of God. With the grace of God, you're saying, Peter, come on. Don't you know that you were written down the pages of Holy Scripture and all of us have been talking about you for 2,000 years? Why'd you say something like that? Because we're, we have such a self-defense mechanism in every one of us. We want to defend ourselves and we think that if I have to forgive everyone, every time they do something to me, especially that brother that's done it to me five times, if I have to forgive him again, he's going to take advantage of me. I'll be a doormat. Well, I'd rather be a doormat in the house of God with the Lord as my avenger than to be some self-righteous and self-defensive person trying to avenge myself. Let the Lord have the last laugh if someone is persecuting you. Forgive him. Blow it off and forget it. The Lord Jesus said to him in verse 21, in verse 22, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. It's nearly impossible for us to forgive others when they repeat the offense to us. Do you know that? The first time it happens, no problem. You say, I'm so full of forgiveness and the grace of God, and you forgive them. Then they do the same thing to you. You're not quite so full that time. Especially if it's, there's not too much distance or time between the two events. This is the nature of men. They're not very forgiving, especially when the same offense keeps happening. Listen, if, if I don't, if I don't get my pound of flesh out of him, if I don't give him a little pain, he'll just keep on doing this. What's he doing? All he's doing is, Offending you a little bit, so what? Blow it off and forget it. It doesn't matter. These aren't offenses against God. These are offenses against you. Since when did you become important enough that at number eight you get to jump down his throat? 
you're not important enough. But there's Peter representing all of us because he's outspoken and says what's on his mind. And there we find ourselves in verse 21. And so the Lord answers Peter and you and me in verse 22. Oh no, the limit isn't seven. It's 70 times seven. It's not seven. It's 490. And he doesn't really mean 490 as a number because if you get to 491, you're supposed to still be forgiving. He's just using Peter's choice of numbers and expanding it a multiplied number of times. We're to forgive infinitely. Because I want to tell you something. Don't you already know this? I've read it to you, but don't you already know? God has forgiven you over and over and over again. Have you ever confessed the the same sin twice? Did He forgive you the second time? As quickly as the first time? Have you ever confessed the same sin seven times? Did He forgive you as quickly the seventh time as the first time? Have you ever confessed a sin for the 490th time? Did He forgive you the 490th time as quickly as the first time? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There is plenteous redemption with the Lord of glory. So we should be able to do that. More on that as we progress through these words. Notice the difference. Peter says, Lord, I want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want to be your man. I'm willing to forgive my brother. I'm sure there's a limit, right? If I do it up to seven times, is that good enough to be first in the kingdom of heaven? And the Lord says, no, 70 times seven, Peter, if you want to be first in my kingdom. Come back to Isaiah 55 and let's see this explained. Verses 21 and 22 explain for us from Isaiah 55. Here is a verse that is commonly misunderstood. I've mentioned this to you before. But today we look at it with our eyes and you hear it with your ears so that I can explain this point to you again. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. These two verses explain that if the wicked man will forsake his wicked way, and the unrighteous man his unrighteous thoughts, God will abundantly pardon him. God will have mercy upon him. And look at this next verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verses 8 and 9 are explaining verses 6 and 7. They're explaining to us that the way in which God's ways and His thoughts are higher than ours is in His amount of forgiveness. It's in His abundant pardon. See, Peter's ways were seven. The Lord's ways were 70 times seven. That's as high as the heavens are above the earth because those numbers are not meant absolutely. Those numbers are meant infinitely against a tight restriction of Peter. And so the Lord's ways and His thoughts are higher than ours. 
Sometimes these verses will be quoted as if it's God's intellect or God's intelligence or His wisdom or His understanding is as high as the heavens are above the earth over our intellect, intelligence, wisdom, and understanding. But that isn't the context. We let context drive us in the Bible. And we're happy to be a passenger with context. And context tells us it's forgiveness that is the key to these four verses. His ways are higher than our ways because he says, just keep on forgiving. And Peter says, can I stop at 7? Back to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Now that was Jesus Christ's short answer. No, not 7, 70 times 7. Here's our Lord's long answer. And the long answer is beautiful. And it is a parable. And it's prepared for Peter and the rest of the disciples and you and me. I've already read it to you, so let's just take it a verse at a time. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. When it says the kingdom of heaven in a context like this, let me make it very simple. This is Christianity. This is Jesus Christ ruling over men. This is how you live in the religion of Jesus Christ. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto. That means we have a simile here, and it's a long simile running all the way to verse 35. So we call it a parable. It's a metaphor. It's comparing two things. It's going to give us a story about a king and some of his servants, and we're supposed to understand God, ourselves, and others. It's beautiful. It's very beautiful. We do not want to worry about every detail. If you try to teach the doctrine of salvation in its five phases from this parable, you'll be in trouble. Because that wasn't our Lord's purpose. Our Lord's purpose was 70 times 7 verses 7. Our Lord's purpose is going to be Peter and you and me. How much have I forgiven you? How eagerly should you forgive others? That's the lesson. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. It's important to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ does take account. He's taking account this morning. I read in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He is taking account. I read in Hebrews chapter 4, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jesus Christ is viewing and taking an accounting of your thoughts at this very moment. He knows every thought and motive of your heart at this very moment. He knows everything that you did this morning. He knows everything that you're conspiring to do this afternoon. He knows everything you did yesterday and how much time, attention, and affection you gave Him. He knows it all. He's taking an account. This king is taking an account of his servants. Then there will be a day when the Lord takes account of us again. The Bible says that we shall give an account of our lives before the Lord Jesus Christ we stand before Him. You will answer for today. And why you were thinking, daydreaming, and fussing and fretting about ridiculous, stupid things that don't matter in time or eternity. 
instead of focusing on the Word of God and listening with as much attention as you could give the pastor God sent you, you'll give an account again. This parable that we're about to proceed through is the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. It tells us what God has done for us and what we ought to do as a result of that. This king is taking account of his servants. It's review time. Every one of you that work in a large company, you know that once a year, you're supposed to have a review in which you sit down with your supervisor and you are told how you're doing. And so the king is doing that with all of his servants. And we come to verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. The king examines the books and finds a servant that owes him 10,000 talents. Now the talent in the Bible was a large chunk of gold or silver that was very, very valuable. Using a conservative estimate, all the estimates run from several hundred ounces to 7,200 pounds. It's amazing that in 2,000 years, no one knows what the Romans or the Hebrews were using at this time for their weights. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. It doesn't matter because... What the value of this is doesn't really matter because the Lord's just comparing a whole lot with nothing. But let's say that a talent is 200 pounds. 200 pounds has 3,200 ounces. And gold closed at $472 this week. And so we've got 15 billion, 104 million that is owed by this servant to his Lord. Now, a servant that owed that much money isn't a servant that bakes bread in the bakery. This must be the vassal prince of some province or state that reports to this king. But that's a lot of money. He finds this man owes him 10,000 talents. A talent was a huge, a talent is not what you use in a talent contest, children. You're thinking of a different word. It's the same word, but a different meaning. A talent was a great big chunk of silver or gold, and it's what large transactions were traded in. For instance, if somebody asked for you to pay a million dollars, you're not going to bring pennies or one dollar bills. You're going to go get the largest, you're going to go get a check, but you're going to get the largest denominated currency you can. And in the Bible, when kings and nations transferred money, they transferred it in talents. You can read talents throughout the whole Bible from one kingdom to another. This servant owed much. He began to reckon, and he found a servant that owed him 10,000 talents. Is there any doubt in any mind this morning that you owe the God of heaven 10,000 talents? Without the Lord Jesus Christ in your place, you owe more than 10,000 talents. When a holy God A holy God. A holy God that would damn an entire race of people, the human race, for one small transgression in the Garden of Eden, when that kind of a holy God unveils every thought of your mind, every word of your lips, and every action of your hands and feet, and every other body part, Whether it's a sin of commission, meaning something you did, or a sin of omission, meaning something you didn't do when you should have, 
When a holy God unveils all of that, we are all in debt in excess of 10,000 talents. Because the only payment for even one of those sins is an eternity in hell. The parable is already breaking down, as all parables must. Because 10,000 talents could be paid, but one sin cannot be paid against a holy God. Please follow with me. We are beyond this servant in what we owe the God of heaven. As we read earlier this morning in Psalm 130, if this king, our Lord, should mark iniquities, which of us could stand? Not one. No, not one. We would sink into hell under the burden of our guilt because there is a sovereign God that hates sin. And there's a sovereign God that must punish sin. And there's a sovereign God that is most willing to punish sin. And we deserve to be punished. And there is nothing that we can do to pay off our debt. We are hopeless. And so was this man. Because it tells us in verse 25, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. This man had taken his Lord's assets and squandered them, and he had nothing left to repay his debt. Let me chase a rabbit. Instead of companies and individuals being able to file for personal bankruptcy or Chapter 11 as a company, this is the solution. The Lord is using what was well understood by every Israelite. There wasn't such a thing as going to court and saying, I can't pay my debts. Can I start over? That's what bankruptcy court is in America today. I can't pay my debts. I just borrowed too much and wasted it all. Will you let me start over? And so they let a couple hundred people every month in Greenville County start over. And they let companies start over. Here's the solution. You'd be amazed at the financial management and how it would improve if men and their wives and their children were sold for slaves when they didn't pay their debts. It's stealing when you don't pay your debts. There's no need for prison. Sell them into slavery. You say 10,000 talents, he might be in slavery the rest of his life. What are you worried about? If he couldn't pay it off in his lifetime, then his children would. Yes, but what if they couldn't pay it off? Then it would be his grandchildren paying it off. You say, I guess I would be careful. You would be careful. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children all that he had, and payment to be made. Brethren, what does that say to us? We don't have anything to pay. We will be stripped one day if there is not a Savior and cast into hell and payment will be made. You say, how long will it take for me to pay back my sins? Eternity. You can't measure the time. Because you are of such insignificance, though He will maximize the pain until it is crushing your soul and you believe that your whole being is ready to implode upon itself, It will take that level of pain for eternity to pay for one sin. Because He is an infinite God. 
and your offenses against Him are infinite. Therefore, you have nothing to pay, and you will have eternity to pay for your sins. Because He is a holy God, you've never seen Him unless you've looked in the pages of Scripture. He is a great and dreadful God about our sins. We have nothing to pay. And so we will be in hell forever. You will not be read a sentence of 500 years and then parole. It'll be for eternity. We have nothing to pay. We are hopelessly in debt. The only payment we can make is to allow our bodies and souls to suffer forever in hell. You do know that the wicked will have their bodies raised again, don't you? Everybody is going to come out of that ground. And the wicked are going to have their bodies given back to them and body and soul will be cast into hell to suffer there forever. For one sin would be enough. Verse 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. The servant begged for mercy. In Psalm 130 this morning, we read, Out of the depths I cried unto Thee, O Lord. Here is a soul under the weight of its sins, crying unto the Lord for mercy. Here is a servant that owes 10,000 talents. What ought to take place is he, his wife, his children, and all that he has sold into slavery. He begs for mercy. Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay Thee all. I will work it off. I'll put my kids to work. I'll get two jobs. I'll get three jobs. I'll pay it off. Please have mercy. Don't sell me into slavery. Don't split me up from my family. And so it is when we hear about the holy God of the Bible and the torments of hell for sin that we ask God to have mercy upon our wretched souls like the, like the publican did the Bible. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Keep the comparison going through this parable with me. The metaphor here describes our desperate situation before the holy God of heaven. We are most earnest when we are faced with our sins and we beg pitifully to survive. We hope against hope that God might be merciful and forgive us. I hoped in His mercy. We read in Psalm 130, This servant is hoping in the mercy of his Lord because there is nothing else there but pure mercy. There is nothing he can pay. He owes it. The king has the authority to bind him in chains and to sell his wife and his children, to take his house, foreclose on it, and deliver it up to the real estate agent. There is nothing restraining this man from having losing everything he's got And there will be nothing that we can lay hold of to deliver us in the day of God's wrath. When we will pay for our sins. Verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. I look at that verse and I say, why? Sell them into slavery. You want to squander 10,000 talents? You deserve it. Your great-grandchildren deserve it. Every one of you believes the same thing. If someone owed you 10,000 talents and had squandered it all, unless you're thinking with your new man, 
I'm thinking with my old man for just a moment to remind you of what we all are by nature. Unmerciful. And so we look at this verse and we say, that isn't going to help any economy. But it's going to magnify the God of heaven. Because He's going to forgive. He has compassion and loosed Him and forgave Him the debt. Has the blessed God had compassion on us and forgiven us our debt? Has He loosed us from our sins? Does the Bible say, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Does the Bible say that? Because He's loosed us from every single charge. All our iniquities were put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid for all our sins. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's all been wiped away. And no, it is not fair. God is not fair. God is merciful. God is not fair. God is gracious. God is not fair. God forgives. And He has plenteous of redemption. With nothing to pay, we are hopeless. With total forgiveness, we are freed from our debt. And so was this servant, entirely freed. Here is mercy. The king has the authority. The king has the right. The servant has squandered 10,000 talents. It only seems fair that he should pay it. But that is grace. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to stand in our place and to deliver us from our 10,000 talents. And 10,000 talents understates what we owe the God of heaven. Because the sins that we have committed against Him are of infinite weight against our souls. How can the holy God and the great and dreadful God of the Bible forgive men? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And mercy and truth are met together in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You know, this parable doesn't tell us anything about Jesus Christ. This parable doesn't tell us about another servant stepping forward and paying the price on behalf of this servant. doesn't have to, does it? You're all able to figure that out, aren't you? And if you're not, I'll help you figure it out. It's not stated there that there was a substitute, but we know that that forgiveness that is found in verse 27 cannot occur without a substitute being found because God cannot forgive debts like this without a substitute paying for that 10,000 talents. We know that because we have read in Exodus chapter 34, He cannot acquit or clear the guilty. And this man is guilty in verse 27 and God clears him because it's understood, we understand, a payment was made on his behalf. One sin is enough to send you to hell forever. What about the million sins that you've committed? We're in debt. Look at that verse again. Verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. This is the God of heaven and the way He treats us. This is the God of heaven sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to bear our iniquities. How should this servant now live? How should this servant, in verse 27, that's been forgiven, been loosed, and had his debt wiped out, how should he live? Should he be sending a thank you card every day to that king? Should he be rejoicing about that king every day of his life? How should he be treating everyone else? And how they relate to him? 
Should he be the most merciful man in the whole kingdom? Should he be the most gracious? Should he have the shortest memory? Should he be the most childlike when it comes to malice? Oh, he should. This man, it seems, you wouldn't be able to hurt him no matter what you did to him. Because look what he was forgiven by the king. But look what we read. And it's disgusting. It should anger you. It should sicken you. What we read next. Verse 28. But the same servant. But. When you read verse 27, you think you know how that servant's going to be living from then on. But. He doesn't live that way. But. He lives differently. He lives wickedly. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. The Lord chose these words. I did not choose these words. This graphic lesson is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. He took him by the hands and took him by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. And the debt was a hundred pence. A pence is one-eighth of an ounce. One hundred times one-eighth of an ounce times $472 per ounce, if we had pence of gold, would be $5,900. Or in other words, to help your mind, 2,560,000 times less than 10,000 talents. Do you like that number? Is that a pretty big comparison? The difference between the talents and the pence is 2,560,000 times. The servant has been forgiven his 10,000 talents, but he takes his fellow servant by the neck, by the throat, and says, pay me everything. And you're saying, where does that ferocity come from? Where is that anger from? Where is that bitterness, that rage, that fury? Do you need to ask? Or isn't it in the breast of every single one of you? The fury that we can have towards someone that wrongs us. We can do it at home. We can do it at work. And we can do it in the church of God. And it is a disgrace. And it ought to sicken us. And this parable ought to sicken us. That 28th verse ought to make you angry. But if you're going to get angry, get angry at yourself. And the wickedness that is in your breast. And the revenge that you are so easily able to think about when someone else wrongs you in a way that doesn't even measure. The parable is breaking down again. A hundred pence is at least something. But no, and whatever someone does against you in this assembly is nothing. So the parable has broken down again. A hundred pence is something. But when someone does something against you, it ought to be nothing. Especially in comparison to what God has forgiven us. So I've shown you twice how the parable breaks down. The 10,000 talents is what the servant owed the king. But we owe the Lord a whole lot more than 10,000 talents. We owe Him an eternity in hell. The servant, a fellow servant, owed the forgiven servant a hundred pence. But that's more than what we can even do to each other. It's pitiful. It, it ought to disgust you. He took him by the throat showing His overbearing, unmerciful, harsh, and wicked spirit. 
The Lord gets to us quickly with the terminology of this parable. He took him by the throat. He laid his hands on him. He was ferocious. He'd been forgiven in eternity and we've been forgiven in eternity in hell. And we will get upset about someone saying something to us, doing something to us. We're pitiful. God have mercy upon our wretched souls and may He change us forever by this parable. Verse 29, And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Have you read those words before? Have we had those words before in this parable? Is this what the servant said to the king? Asking to be excused of his 10,000 talents and patience provided so that he could pay him back? And so he's getting the very same words. Oh, brethren, this hurts. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Heavenly Father, will you forgive me for what I have done against you? Then someone comes to us and says, Will you forgive me for what I've done against you? And we want to exact a pound of flesh. Same words. When we are asking God to forgive us, we know that if He does not forgive us, who shall stand? No man shall stand. We shall sink into hell. And then when someone asks us, hoping for that same mercy, though they are asking forgiveness for nothing, I don't care what they did to you. I don't care if it was the worst serial killer you can imagine. It is still nothing in comparison of what you've done against God and no one. And here's a serial killer and going to wipe out your family. The same words are used. Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. How quickly the servant had forgotten the mercy that the king had shown him. How quickly we forget the mercy God has shown us. How thoroughly he forgot it. He forgot it so thoroughly that there was not even any restraint on his violent passions of taking this fellow servant by the throat and stopping up his ears so that he couldn't even hear him. Not one bit of consideration, not one bit of mercy toward this fellow servant. Just pure anger, wrath, and violence. And justice, truth without mercy. Yes, he may have owed a hundred pence. That's the truth. But where's the mercy? It's when the two meet together that you have a great man. It's when the two meet together perfectly that you have the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of heaven. Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Verse 29 tells us when we come to verse 30, and he would not. Forget it. After what you did to me, forget it. Ever thought those words? Ever said those words? Forget it. No way. After what you did to me? Just look at the arrogance of those words. Look at the pride. What if God... The God of heaven ever said that for one nanosecond. One nanosecond. No way after what you have done to me. Your soul would implode upon itself in misery and pain and destruction that you can't even imagine. 
He never says that to us. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. He's going to exact his pound of flesh. I'm going to hold this against that guy until he is paid and paid and paid until I finally feel that I've been fully paid off for what he did to me. That is so wicked, but that is how we think by nature. He would not forgive him. He would not give him any patience. He would not show him any mercy. He would not give him a chance to pay it off. He threw him into prison. That should anger us to even read this parable. But do you know who he was giving this parable to? Peter and the other apostles and to you and to me because he knows this is what is in our hearts. Verse 31, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. That's verse 31. There is no difficulty in the God of heaven knowing when we treat our brethren this way. Do you understand that? The, uh, you can go ahead and try to make the fellow servants, the angels, that are reporting back to heaven about how you treat others. It doesn't matter. God doesn't need His angels, but if they report back, He's going to know about how you treat other people. God will know whether you forgive as freely, as fully, as quickly, as cheerfully as He forgave you. He will know that. And so the parable is holding up. Because God knows how we treat one another. And He has told us how to treat one another. And He has forgiven us so that we ought to be so full of it, we can't hold anyone accountable. We just want to blow everything off. We ought to be glorious every time. Matthew 18.15 ought to be the least used verse in the whole Bible. Do you know how little used? Not used at all. Why would we ever get to Matthew 18.15? I don't need to go and tell Him His fault between me and Him alone because I'm going to forget it. I've already forgot it. What did He do to me? And forget it. That's how we ought to live. Because the Lord knows how we are treating one another. It should make us sick and angry when we see things like this in our own lives. It should make us sick and angry when we see things like this in the church. And so therefore we ought to warn the unruly and stop any conduct like this in our own hearts first and then in anyone else. Because this is counter to the religion of Jesus Christ. This is Christianity. This is the kingdom of heaven. Understanding what God has done toward us and returning that to others, especially those that are His children. How can a man say, I love God, and not love the children of God? And how do we show our love? We forgive and forget. We overlook and we forbear. We have long-suffering toward them no matter what they do. Verse 32, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? What in the world did you do? I forgave you your huge debt, and you are punishing your fellow servant for a meaningless debt? What in the world is going on, you wicked servant? And brethren, this is God calling us into an account for not treating others the way He has treated us. This is the King. It says He called Him. 
He said, get that man and bring him in before me because I want to confront him over what he's done. That's in verses 32 and 33. And God does that. He knows how we're treating our brethren. He knows if it measures up to how he's treated us. And then he will hold us accountable. He will confront us with that. And it will be sore chastening when the God of heaven sees us treating one another in such a way after what he has done for us. If God forgave us, how willing should we be to forgive others? You know, the Bible says that we ought to forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. This is just a rule of the New Testament. Because, see, there's two things at play here in this parable. There's two, there's two lessons to take out of this. God is great in mercy. And He's forgiven us our 10,000 talents. He has forgiven us an eternity of punishment for the offenses that we have committed against Him. We have all offended an infinitely great being that never deserved to be offended. He has never done anything to wrong us. He has only blessed us. He is only perfect. We deserve hell. And He looks upon us and when He sees us treating others with with vengeance, with harshness, with violence, with justice, you're going to pay me because that's what you owe me. That's what we agreed on. What you did to me was wrong. Listen to that. Listen to that. Listen to those words. What you did to me was wrong. You say, well, I hear, I, I hear the devil. Well, if I never said that to anyone, then everyone would go around doing wrong. Let the Lord protect you. Forgive them. Listen to the harshness of those words. And let me ask you again. If God ever said, what you did is wrong, and left it there, where are you? You are lost and undone. You are beyond hopeless. But the God of heaven does not address us that way. And nor did this king address that servant deep in debt that way. We come to verse 34. And his Lord was wroth. This king in this parable was very angry and furious that he would forgive a servant 10,000 talents and then hear the, the sick and profane story that that servant went out and took another fellow servant by the throat over a hundred pence. He was wroth. And you know what this is saying to you and me, don't you? This is God when he sees us being unmerciful toward one another. And it says that king delivered that servant that had been forgiven, but was no longer forgiven, that servant he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. The tormentors. I didn't pick that word. The Holy Spirit of God picked that word. The Lord was wroth. The king was wroth with that servant and delivered him because he had the absolute sovereign power to do so. He delivered him to the torture chambers and to the tormentors to get every ounce out of that man that they possibly could. Every bit of payment. And that's what the Lord will do to us if we are not forgiving and merciful. And brethren, there are so many things that could be said at this point about this lesson. You have heard before the words, if I'm going to err in any decision with any man, let me err on the side of mercy. Because I want God to err in the side of mercy with me. 
because if there were ever a chance that he could stand up and be wroth with me, as verse 34 describes, and deliver me to the tormentors, his torment is terrible. When he puts his hand heavy upon you, he can dry you out from the inside. Go read about David. When God's hand is heavy upon a man, you can't be successful in any measure of your life. He will rot you from the inside out, and He is right and just in doing so because you're so unmerciful in not forgiving others their trespasses against you. So let's err on the side of mercy. Mercy rejoices against judgment, James 2.13 tells us. And he that hath showed judgment without mercy is going to get judgment without mercy, James 2.13. The Bible tells us, to the merciful, I will show myself merciful. To the froward, I will show myself froward. This is forward. And God will show Himself forward. Let me tell you something. When God takes you by the throat in His right hand, there is no deliverance. He is so gracious. He's forgiven us 10,000 talents. We should be able to walk up to each other after this service and punch each other in the cheeks. And everybody just smile and turn the other one. Who's going to burst into a rage? How can we? And I don't think anyone's going to do that. And anyone listening to this tape, we're really a decent church. I just sound bad. What could we possibly do to hurt each other? To cause any anger? Or us not to forgive each other in light of what God has done to forgive us? There are two great themes, and I've said this, this is my third time to say this, I believe. This is presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of God for sinners, in delivering them out of the depths of their sin and from an eternity in hell. And the the principles that should guide us in living the Christian religion are to be as merciful to one another. This is the message of Matthew chapter 18. His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. And look at what that last verse says. So likewise, in the very same way, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So likewise. Very strong English language meaning exactly as verse 34 described is how my heavenly Father will treat you in exactly the same way. So is a little adverb meaning in the way that has been described. Likewise, in the exact way that's just been described. For emphasis, we have the word, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. Now, how shall you escape? Do you think God doesn't see you when you are short, vengeful, bitter, grudge-bearing, quarreling with any brother in here, you don't think he sees? He sees it all. You don't think he has the power to torment you? He's got the power. Do you think you deserve to be tormented when you don't forgive another? Absolutely, because he's forgiven you an infinite debt. There is nothing restraining the God of heaven and our Heavenly Father from pounding us if we are unmerciful in our dealings with each other. So likewise, this is the Lord Jesus Christ looking Peter in the eye and saying, Peter, you wanted me to draw it, you wanted me to cut it off at seven. But Peter, I know about a sin that you've confessed to God over seven million times, and I've forgiven you every one of them. Why did you want to limit your brother to seven offenses? 
so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you also. There again is another adverb describing verse 34 is our unhappy lot if we do not forgive one another. And then look what it says. If ye from your hearts. Someone will say, but I haven't done anything about it. I haven't done anything to them. I just can't stand them. The right hand of God is going to weigh on your life. And if you suffer by every measure of human existence, don't blame me and don't blame God and don't blame the Bible because you've been told. If ye do not from your heart forgive every man. You know, we'll forgive many men, but we all have several that we don't like to forgive as much. They've torqued us a little too much in the past. Look at the wording of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is infinitely perfect in the way it says things. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts, our very thoughts about one another, do not forgive every one his brother their trespasses. Individually considered, we must forgive everyone. What a great motive. I said this sermon was incredibly positive and incredibly negative. The blessing of being forgiven such a great debt by the God of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ who came and stood in our place. He is not mentioned here directly, but it is all understood that the forgiveness of our sins is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, that God forgives sinners through Jesus Christ. But the gospel is more than that. The gospel is also how we should live and treat one another. And we should show the same forbearing, long-suffering, and never getting riled, not easily provoked, enduring all things. That charity tells us to because of the love God has shown us. Before this day is out, you will have opportunities to forgive from your heart your brothers in this assembly. May God help you do it. This is the more excellent way of serving Jesus Christ. This is being greater than an apostle. Learning how to treat one another in Christian charity, according to 1 Corinthians 13. How does it start? Charity? Suffereth long. Do you know why charity suffers long between brothers? Because God suffers long with us. Amen. And is kind. Do you know why we better be kind to each other on all occasions? Because God is always kind to us. We have the greatest motive in the world to be the glorious man of Proverbs 19.11. It says there, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. That's Solomon's discretion. Solomon wrote that jewel. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Wisdom says, I have no reason or need to get upset about this. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. And was there ever a man more glorious than David, apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, or of Joseph, if you like Joseph, in forgiving? Did David forgive King Saul? What were the offenses that King Saul committed against David? Repeated attempts on his life. Did he forgive him? Did he forgive him when he had him in his power to take his life? He forgave him. Did Joseph forgive his brothers when he sat on the throne of Egypt 
And they begged and groveled before him, not knowing who he was. Could he have had them easily put to death and no one would have ever known? He forgave them. Because they showed us the character of the righteous. They were glorious men. Let's every single one of us be glorious all the time. Forgiving siblings. Forgiving parents. Forgiving children. Forgiving spouses. Forgiving one another. Let's just blow the offenses off and forget them. As God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven and blown our offenses away through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised.